Are you amazed when people drive their vehicles for over 250,000 miles? How often should you change your engine oil? What techniques can improve your mileage? Would an expensive fuel injection cleaning improve your engine performance? This is Car Guy with Brett Beechler of Beechler's Vehicle Care and Repair. Find out how to substantially reduce your cost per mile and extend the longevity of your vehicles. Welcome to Car Guy with Brett Beechler on PeoriaLife.com. Good morning, Central Illinois. Welcome to the Car Guy with Brett Beechler of Beechler's uh, Gas Station. Good morning, Greg. Is that, is that you? Good morning. <laughs> how are you doing? Fantastic. What is the official title? Is it Brett's, uh, Beechler's Repair Service? The official title is actually Beechler's Vehicle Care and Repair. Vehicle Care and Repair. Yes. Okay. All right. Located? Much like the title of my book, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And again, remind people where it's located. Uh, it is at the southwest corner of University and War Memorial Drive. All right, in Peoria. In Peoria. All right. Probably the busiest intersection in Peoria, is that right? That's, from my understanding, it is the busiest intersection in Peoria. Wow. So, lots of cars. Yeah. Goodbye. All right, well, last week we talked a lot about some things that have changed over the years in the, in the field of auto repair and, and so forth. And one of the things that has really changed from 30, 40 years ago is the old style of gas station has gone away. It used to be the, the service station. We used to call them service stations, mm-hmm. not gas stations. You had some gas pumps, and, and you had oil change, and you had repair and so forth, and that's disappeared almost. Almost. Um, what, what's behind that change? Um, so let's take one aspect of it, the, the full service, the gentleman coming out and pumping your gas and cleaning your windows and checking all your fluids and inflating your tires. Um, we got rid of that, I want to say, 10-plus years ago. The last year or two, we were actually losing money on it based on what we were paying the gentleman what we were charging the consumer. Uh, consumers generally just don't want to pay. The massive consumers don't want to pay for somebody to fill their tank up. That's really what it boils down to. And that's okay because the younger generation came up on not having full service around them. So that aspect of the business has gone away. I'm not averse to ever having it come back maybe a day or two a week. Um, but it would have to come back in a manner of um, it can't lose money. <laughs> so that's one aspect of it. Do you have people asking for that? Yeah, we, we still have people that ask for it. Um, it tends to be the older generation. Um but it's, I hate to say this, it's its a dying breed. You'd have to really market it well, um, almost have to mix a charity into it or something along the, along those lines to do it because most people are so adept to jumping out of their car, putting their debit card in the, or credit card in, the, in the, the fuel pump and plugging that thing in and going to sit back in their car, do whatever the case may be, and they're done in, you know, three, four minutes and off they go. Do most people pay at the pump? Most, yeah, most consumers pay at the pump. The number is up over eighty percent right now. So, four out of five customers are not walking in the. Well, they're they're paying at the pump, but they're finding that they're walking in the door to get cokes or snacks or whatever the they want to desire to get that day. I've always wondered about paying at the pump. You know, I'm always suspicious about did it really register register and so forth. So I always get a receipt. Is that necessary? Um, I always get a receipt too. Um, Just to be safe. I don't know if it's necessary, but I'm kind of anal. My wife will tell you about financial management. So I always get a receipt, but um, we have never come across, and I shouldn't say that we've never come across an issue. I think we've had one or two over the past 10 or 20 years that I can recall, 
and they're rectified. You know, in a place like ours, they're rectified. Any, any good gas station is going to rectify the issue. Um, but computers are in charge of that, so there's not, you know, we can't get our hands in there and micromanage and manipulate the things that are going on at the pump. We just can't do it. So that's a for, for us, that's a shell management system is what goes on. Mm-hmm. So um, the other aspect of the, the service station that's gone away is, uh, it used to be there were service stations on a lot of corners throughout the, the city, and cars weren't nearly as complex back then. So you didn't, how do I say this nicely, you didn't have to have the the high-quality technician back then. I don't mean to, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the previous generations, but it didn't require quite as much technical knowledge to work on vehicles. So as the technology has come up, it's kind of weeded out the guys that, or the the shade tree type two stall garages um, hang around the corner because they don't have the the support network that they they need to sustain and manage and work on these cars. So that's the other aspect of it of it that's really gone away. I think us and possibly Charlie McDonald are the only other service station in town. The the gas and the working on cars aspect. Otherwise, there's one of two things: you've got the quick lube operations, and you got dealerships. Um, uh, and the independent shop owners, I'm sorry, there's three aspects. Um, so those are still very prevalent. Um, and we, you know, building this new facility, we, we believe we fit the niche of having the quick oil services along with having the, the heavier duty repairs on brakes and air conditionings and tires and, and check engine lights, you, you name it. So we think we found the good niche because not necessarily everybody wants to go to other places to sit around and wait for their car for three and four hours. So mm-hmm. um, the model is definitely changing in the industry, and you've got to adapt to, to roll with it. So, yeah. Wow. Things are changing and, and will continue to change. Do you, Absolutely. Do you have any ideas on where the industry like that is going? I know that's a tough my, question. My vision of where the industry is going to go, um, and I've chatted with this with some of my guys in the business, is cars are going to become more complex. There's no doubt about it. Um, probably for the better in terms of the computer aspects and the and the driver capabilities and the and things that are coming. It's really neat to kind of look on the horizon of this stuff. But in my vision is the business is going to become more educational for the consumer in terms of what to do, what not to do on cars. Because what's going on out there in the industry is places that are doing – you know, let's say just oil changes, the oil change intervals are extending. So their car count is going down. So they've got to figure out different avenues of revenue to, in order to sustain their business. So we've had that avenue of revenue figured out between the brakes and the tires and the steering and suspension components that fail on vehicles um, anymore. We've had that figured out for years. So we're getting into their business, I guess, if you want to call it, and they're trying to get into our business with maybe some lesser um, skilled technicians, and that's a really tough challenge for them. Um, and then the other aspect is you've got um, the dealerships, who I think are doing a phenomenal job of keeping up with technology, mainly because they have the factory support behind them. Um, but the industry is definitely going to change. And I, I think if you're a shop owner, an automotive shop owner, if you don't embrace that change, you'll probably end up going by the wayside like a lot of service stations have gone by the wayside. But that's just my personal opinion, keeping my fingers on the pulse in the industry and where everything's going. Um, I, I, we're, our goal and vision is to grow the tire business. Our goal and vision is to, to grow the, 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 the heavier duty repairs part of the business. It's very solid right now, but we want to grow it even more. Um, my other goal is to help 
grow younger technicians into this industry because the supply is going down. Let's face it. It's a pretty, pretty substantial number that's going down. A lot of these guys deal with it. The HVAC guys deal with it. Electrical contractors deal with it. So the opportunity I believe is there for younger generations to get in there and make decent money and support families, uh, to be able to do the thing they love to do. And that's work on cars. Hmm. So interesting. Well, another thing that I remember from the old days is the old J.C. Whitney catalog. Remember that? <laughs> I barely remember that, um, but I do recall looking young. through that. I do recall looking through that a few times when I was younger. <laughs> that was it's so funny. That was an uh, auto parts catalog, mm-hmm. of course, and every other page had something on there that if you bought this, this whatever it was, put it on your car, you'd save 20%, 30% on your fuel mm-hmm. mileage. And the joke was if you if you bought all these things and put them on your car – your car would be so efficient, you would actually manufacture gas, and you'd have to stop at gas stations to unload every now and then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you don't remember that? No, I don't. I don't recall that. But I, I know there 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 are gimmicks. There are still gimmicks out there per se um, that people are attempting to increase fuel mileage, for example. Um, and then I hear the you know the conspiracy theory that manufacturers are out there trying to keep fuel mileage down and. You know, we could have cars that get 100 miles a gallon. We absolutely could have cars that get really, really good mileage, that get 80 miles a gallon. There's no doubt in my mind. But there's there's two aspects to this. The one huge aspect is the consumer doesn't necessarily want that car. Um, we, we, we would love to supply, I would love to see a supply of cars that get 80 miles a gallon. But in the end, nobody wants to purchase those cars that get that kind of fuel mileage because of the the dynamics behind it because the weight, the size of the car would be much smaller. Um, you're talking only getting a couple people possibly in the car. And I, quite frankly, I don't think our society is ready to sacrifice in that manner to be able to have the better fuel mileage in cars. So I, I don't believe it's a manufacturer conspiracy. I believe it's the consumers who drives this market, period. Their dollar bills what drives this market. So that's where people have to be really careful when it when it kind of comes down to all this stuff is um, we're the ones that drive this. And that's really what it boils down to. You know, let's, let's take, for example, um, the smart car. When it's in Europe or in Europe, that car gets 80 miles to the gallon. Hmm. Okay. You bring it over to our country and you add on the safety aspects and the emissions aspects of the, uh, the diesel technology. And it drops down to 40 miles to the gallon. So Why? I always ask the question, why? why, why, why does it happen that way? Because our government mandates all these things on the cars to make us safer and the environment more clean. But how come Europe's got it figured out? I'm not a huge European fan, but I look at aspects like this and I go, what's the point? You know, if we really want good gas mileage, let's look at our government, not, not the manufacturers. Let's demand it from the, the, the voter aspect and the consumer aspect, as opposed to, you know, looking at manufacturers and thinking they're something's plotted against us because it's not. So, mm-hmm. speaking of good gas mileage in Europe and so forth, uh, I've spent a little bit of time in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, and it seems like over there, roughly, of course, the cars are all much smaller over there, mm-hmm. and probably 50% of them are diesel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, that just has never caught on too much over here. You have diesel Volkswagens, the Jetta, mm-hmm. and so forth, and, of course, that's been the subject of <clears throat> some uh, controversy here recently. But what do you think about diesel? Do you think that's the future? Do you think it's not? Well, why? It could be the future. Um if our government would get in line with how the European society considers diesel, um, it could very well be the future. But as long as they have these tremendous emission requirements 
on diesels that we require in this country as opposed to Europe. And, and who looks at Europe and says they're a dirty society because of the emission requirements on their diesels? Nobody does. Everybody perceives them as a pretty clean society. It's not a China. Um, and I think we're a very clean society ourselves as much as we, you know, we're 5% of the population in the world and we consume 25% of its natural resources. Um, but that herein lies the problem. That's the, the red tape aspect of all of this. We could have many more diesels in this country and we could embrace better, better fuel mileage is ultimately what it boils down to for the, for the end user. But, um, our government's got to pull back some of their stringent requirements on diesel. That's really what it boils down to. You know, the other aspect of Europe is the diamond dynamic they deal with is they're dealing with six and $8 a gallon of fuel. You experience that while being over in Europe. It's a, it's pretty expensive fuel and there's a heavy tax burden on their fuel. So what that does is essentially is it artificially or however you want to call it pushes their society to go, we've got to go, go figure out different ways to get around and commute in our society because not everybody can jump in their car and run to the grocery store. So they have very concentric societies. You can walk to the grocery store. You can walk a lot of places in a lot of these communities. So do I think it will ever come back in our country to where we are able to walk to the grocery store or, the, or to uh, schools or uh, libraries? Eh, possibly, but we've become a very suburbanized country because of cheap fuel, and that's really what it boils down to. Well, speaking of diesel and fuel mileage and so forth, what do you think of the whole uh, hubbub about Volkswagen and, and uh uh, they got caught cheating and so forth. Uh, they they flat got caught. Um, it was not a not a pretty situation for them. I don't know how it's going to shake out for them, but they're going to end up paying millions of dollars in fines. So I, I had a, a Jetta TDI, mm-hmm. a diesel, for a while. Loved the car. Got mm-hmm. great gas mileage, forty five, forty eight miles a gallon, something like that. But one of the reasons I bought it was at the time it was it was billed as the clean diesel. Like it was, I think it got Car of the Year award from mm-hmm. some car manufacturer or some car man, uh, magazine was it in fact are they in fact dirty cars are they clean cars do you know what what is the real you situation? know i don't have enough information on them i don't i don't believe they're dirty cars i just think it boiled down to they were attempting to make their cars more marketable and they did it in not the correct way to do it by tricking the tricking the um the testers of the fuel mileage aspect of it so that's just my opinion, um, but I, I don't consider them dirty vehicles by any means, especially if you know they're over in our country. Um, I'm sure over in Europe, um, they're still considered clean cars. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we've all seen the the big semi trucks sitting at a gas station or sitting at a stoplight, and then they start up and poof, the, the the big cloud mm-hmm. of black dirt comes out of it. Um, well, we Americans tend to be emotional thinkers, and we see <laughs> that black cloud come out. And we're the ones that demand all those goods be shipped around the country. So, I mean, we can blame the truckers all we want, but we're the ones that demand it. So, I have to say that when I had that di- that Jetta diesel, uh, it got great fuel mileage. Mm-hmm. I never smelled it. You you would never even know it was a diesel car mm-hmm. unless somebody told you. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's good technology. I, I I hope and pray that we someday embrace the the, the technology that's behind diesel. But I I just don't know if I see it with our politicians the way they are. Yeah, it just seems like every time diesel starts to get a foothold in this country, something happens. I mean, mm-hmm. you think back, you're probably too young to remember the GM diesels that came out in the 70s during oh, the first. Oh, they were horrible. <laughs> they were terrible. And that, that, that's still the impression that many Americans mm-hmm. have of automotive diesel engines, which Absolutely. is a real shame. Yes, it is a shame. It right. is an absolute shame. So I'm, I'm hopeful that someday we, we start taking a different perception of diesel. Um, 
So we're, we obviously don't work on diesels, and many people know, but if if they ever came in the number that they, they do over in Europe, we would certainly get into that aspect of it. But mm-hmm. right now we don't. It takes a special accreditation, and usually one or two technicians only work on diesels, so um, the volume's just not there for us. But speaking of diesel, why is it in the price of diesel versus gas? It seems like the gas prices are so much more fluctuating than diesel. I mean, when I had it, there there were it would go from there being a dollar per gallon difference mm-hmm. all the way down to being the same and back and forth. And it seems like diesel was very, very consistent, but gas was all over the place. You know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I wish I could answer that. Um, my my dad may, able to, may be able to have an opinion upon that, but... I'm fairly well disconnected from the gas portion of the business. My my hmm. my strength is in the automotive, but I'm sure there's a there's a market reason behind it. Um, but even even now, I'd, I don't pay too much close attention to the price of gas. <laughs> um, simply, you know, a lot of the things that my wife and I do are within two miles of our home, so I don't I don't live out in you know Germantown Hills or you know Dunlap or Morton or anything like that. So I, I'm not so much just tied to the price of gasoline as hmm. some people are mm-hmm. um, right wrong or indifferent well you may not be able to answer this next question then but there are usually at most gas stations three grades of gasoline mm-hmm. low medium high however you want to name them but the vast majority of people i think get the cheapest grade i do that's correct <laughs> is there any reason to use a higher grade and and uh, what's what's the purpose um th- there's really only one purpose behind it it is um, octane inside the fuel to get better performance. Now, with that said, there are very few cars from a percentage standpoint that require high, higher octane fuel. Um, you know, typically most cars say it on literally their their gas door when they open the gas door. It'll say car requires 93 octane. Most vehicles out there don't need any of the higher two grades of fuel. So. You're, it's a high probability you're likely that every person out, most people out there don't need to run that. They can just run the, the 87 octane fuel. So, Does a higher octane give you better gas mileage? No. It does not? No, it does not. gives you better performance if you've got an engine that requires that, but it doesn't give you better gas mileage. Hmm. Interesting. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had heard that in, in, in the past. One reason to buy the, the better mm-hmm. gas was better gas mileage. No, no, it's, that's not correct. Okay, I've never tested it. So, all right. You know, it'd be really difficult to test it because there there are a lot of aspects to fuel mileage. You know, ambient temperature being one of them, conditions you drive under. You know, nobody's going to be able to test it, test one to test two in an, in an exact situation because of those factors that come into it. Because fuel mileage just changes all the time. You get better fuel mileage in the summer than you do the winter mm-hmm. because the fuel mixture is a little bit higher in the winter um, that your car does. So. Um, the, the, the engines don't run nearly as efficient as they do in the in the summertime. So it's a really tough test to do. Now, I've tested uh, using ethanol, non-ethanol gas on trips where I set the, you know, the, the speedometer at 72, 74 miles an hour. Um, but the catch is that wind plays into that factor. But there is definitely a difference in fuel mileage when I have non-ethanol fuel in my tank as opposed to ethanol fuel. And yeah. the number is three to five percent, and it was very accurate the time I test the times I've tested it in my fuel tank. It's yeah. very accurate. You lose three to five percent if you have a ten percent blend of ethanol in your fuel. Really? Yes, that is absolutely correct. Hmm. So, sorry, ethanol lovers. <laughs> well, another reason to avoid ethanol in the gas might be other 
things that you have that run on gas? Lawnmowers, for example. Yeah, um, I've explained this to a lot of people. I don't, I don't use our fuel through my lawnmower, through my edger, my weeder, my my blower. I don't, I don't use any of that fuel. When we had a, when we had a boat, it was an older Mastercraft with a 351 Ford in it, and I had a, you know, four barrel carburetor. Guess what? I didn't use in that either. Didn't get ethanol in it. Um, I have friends with um, airplanes. They don't use ethanol in their airplanes. Um, I have a motorcycle. I have friends with motorcycles. They don't use ethanol in their motorcycles. So mm-hmm. overall, it's, it's a it's a it's a corrosive fuel. Um, engines don't necessarily like them. Now the computers and cars have learned to adjust for ethanol blends going through their engines. That's why the average consumer doesn't notice it. But it can't make up for that three to five percent fuel mileage loss either. But are there components within the engine or fuel system that could be affected? I mean, regardless of what the car does to make up for the performance and such, are there seals and whatever? No, not necessarily in the in the in the car or SUV or truck engines anymore because the manufacturers have made adjustments knowing that, okay, we're going to have an ethanol blend going through these engines. They've made adjustments to where they're not going through rubber gaskets and carburetors and things of that nature. So... Um, we don't see too many detrimental effects on the cars of nowadays um, simply because the manufacturers have made adjustments and their computers make adjustments for them. Um, the biggest aspect I say about the, the, the cars is the fuel mileage loss. And hmm. most people don't, when you put it in the fact that if I was to steal a nickel from you for every uh, gallon of gas you put in your car, actually it's more than a nickel. Um, you know, right now it's more like eight or nine cents. Um, they wouldn't be too happy with me. Um, they could probably file federal charges against me for stealing from them. But if you put the ethanol blend of 3 to 5% fuel mileage loss of a 10% blend, that's legal because our politicians legalize that. So, Is it legal or is it mandated? I mean, there's a difference um, there. It's, it is mandated, but it's mandated in such a, such in a way that we don't have to put it in our fuel but if we didn't put it in our fuel, we wouldn't be competitive with the rest of the market. That would be where the problem comes in. Um, I right, would love price to, competitive or just price competitive. Mm-hmm. I would love to have you know. There, here, here's one aspect: there's two gas stations in Pure in the Peoria area that don't have ethanol. Um, one of them is just up the road or down the road from us. Um, they only put it in their high end fuel, so it literally, I think, is. Probably in the 325 range right now. I haven't fueled up my six gallon gas tank for all my machinery in my garage lately. Um, but it's a bucker, if not more, per gallon more expensive. It should be because they're not getting the tax break that the, the state government gives them to put that fuel inside their tanks. So, um, if I, if the consumer was informed and educated as to what ethanol was all about and the, and the fuel mileage loss, and they demanded that every gas station not have ethanol in there, they would do it. But the, the average consumer really just looks up the price of the gasoline, and they're looking at bottom dollar, and away they go. So, well, What about your lawnmower? You were mentioning that it could potentially affect your lawnmower negatively. Um, if you want to get fuel like that for your lawnmower without ethanol, where do you go? Um, you can go on an app called pure-gas.org. And that will tell you all the fuel stations around the country that don't have ethanol in their fuel. I use it. Um, it's on my phone. Um, because when I want to go fill those certain piece of machinery up that 
I have, I don't want any ethanol going through them. You know, I had a, I had a, one of my pieces of machinery had a problem. It would crank and not start where we see this problem in vehicles. So I took it up to Wheeland's good guys up there and I got the repair back. The bill was 118 bucks to repair this thing. And I said, all right, tell me what, what, what happened? What did I do wrong? And this is years ago. And he said, you ran ethanol through it. I said, really? He goes, yeah, that's what did the damage. He said, whenever possible, don't run ethanol through the, any of these pieces of equipment. I said, hmm. okay, point taken. That was my, that was my tuition. I call it. That was my lesson to go. Okay. It's worth the extra dollar a gallon to put through these pieces of machinery to me. So I don't have to go to Whelan's and, you know, give them $118. I like the guys, but there's, I mean, they're, they're educational. If they can keep me from doing something like that, thank you for doing it. Um, but, uh, try to prevent that kind of problem inside these small engines. So I didn't know that. I have to admit, Uh, Mm -hmm. I've been running up to the corner store, corner gas station to get uh, my fuel for the lawnmower. Yeah. Pure pure dash gas.org is uh, the website you can go to, or you can download the app either way. Hmm. All right. Well, appreciate that information. You're welcome. All right, well, let's kind of move on to another subject, which you, we may have touched about a little bit in the past, but you've mentioned some things that, that people really shouldn't purchase for their vehicle that many places, unfortunately, push. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you go over some of those? For example, you've mentioned fuel injection cleaning. Correct. You don't need that? So what I do with consumers, you don't need that. Um, what I do with consumers is I say, hey, can we open your owner's manual and let's find out where this is located inside your owner's manual. And they look at me kind of funny, and they know I'm up to something, and we open it. And I actually have a way of looking back door. We subscribe to an online service that tells us everything that cars needs, cars need. And I have yet to find it inside of an owner's manual that says you need to go out and spend, you know, 99 bucks or 120 bucks or 140 bucks, 150 bucks to go do fuel injection cleaning. Now I've talked to other places that sell this type of service, and they they have it justified somehow. But in the end, if you've got a problem with the fuel injector, um, which is what they're saying, they're cleaning the fuel injectors. If you have a problem with the fuel injector, you simply replace the fuel injector. But we work on thousands of cars every year. Guess how many fuel injectors we replace every year? Maybe two or three, mm-hmm. if that, out of all the cars that we work on. So, um, And has there ever been a necessary time to do a fuel injection cleaning? No. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to be able to sleep at night just like you guys do in the room. And I want to be able to look my customers in the eye and go, you know what? My techs are some of the best in town. They're not perfect. They make mistakes. Um, they get compensated accordingly for what they do. Um, but I also want to be able to look at my customers in the eye and say, I don't, I don't want, I don't need to sell you this kind of stuff. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's what I call, and I've used this term hundreds of times. It's what I call wallet flush. Um, it simply removes money out of your wallet for no known reason whatsoever. What about fuel additives? Not necessary. If you're putting good fuel inside your tank, um, it's not necessary to put additives. Any any good fuel company like a Shell or a BP or a Marathon, I probably missed a couple of them, I'm sure. But um, all those guys put additives in their fuel, and it's not necessary. Hmm. So, Regardless of winter, summer? Regardless of winter, summer. Not in our area. Hmm. Not in our area, area, no. Now, if you lived in Alaska, would there be... Um, that may be something different. I've got a friend of mine that runs a shop up in Alaska and I've, I've never really touched on the subject with him, but I, I don't know if he would advocate or not advocate putting additives inside the fuel. I'm sure it's a definitely a different climate than what we have. Mm-hmm. So hmm. what about nitrogen in the tires? You know, I did the research on this, um, cause I considered it bringing it into our business as a, you know, an income stream and helping the customer. 
Um, I went through Consumer Reports. I went through a couple other um, trade magazines and read about it, pros, cons of it. But it was another one of those in the end I couldn't look my customer in the eye. Um, it really boils down to you and I breathe 78% nitrogen through our lungs. It's nitrogen content. Um, they can only guarantee about 95 to 96% purity. So you still got that other content involved there. Um, the cost benefit is not there for the consumer. I, I believe it's starting to go away because I, I check the market to see what everybody else is doing. And I've, I've noticed a few shops have just kind of put it off to the side. Um, it's another wallet flush. The only real benefit is when you have 100% pure nitrogen. And the only two that I've read about are race car tires. They put 100% pure nitrogen, but it's pretty expensive in their tires and hydraulic lines of jets put the pure nitrogen, but to the average consumer to go out and spend 20 bucks, you know, 20 bucks is not a huge amount of money, but it's still money you don't need to spend. You can put it in your grocery account or whatever budget you want to put it in your home. Okay. Well, it looks like we have gone through another half hour show. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, thanks again for the great information, Brett. And uh, we appreciate everybody joining us for the car guy and hopefully everybody have a great day and we'll see you next time. Great. Thank you. PuriaLife.com.